Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Everyday Theology. My name is Dustin Walters, and I'm joined across the screen by Ben Campbell. Ben, how are you doing today? Doing all right, Dustin. How about you? Man, I'm doing well, enjoying some sunshine after a couple of days of snow and ice here in Nashville, and just grateful to be getting back to the show. And I think we have a treat for our listeners today. Ben, tell us, what are we thinking about um, today for our listeners? Well, we're going to be thinking about what ministry moving forward will look like sort of post-pandemic and what what that's going to entail and whether or not uh, we're seeing changes moving forward. Kind of like we talk about postmodernism, Ben, and, and now the, the contemporary way of referring to that is post postmodernism, or you know, we hear we hear things about uh, the post post Christian culture. So I guess this is the post post pandemic uh, ministry moving forward discussion, right? Sure, sure, whatever you want to call it. I think that's what postmodernists would say anyway. Whatever you want to call it, it's what you need to call it. So your truth is your truth and mine and why. Well, anyway, everyone, we'll go ahead and get started today. Um, so Ben, you recently preached through Acts 17. And from that passage, you were able to kind of glean uh, just some principles for what should we as a local church be doing uh, to move forward in um, this new setting of 2022, where attendance is down, some people are still um, concerned about whether or not to come to church. Um, so how do we move forward in gospel ministry in 2022 based on Acts 17? Yeah, I was just convinced and you might say convicted about our own ministry habits and what we were doing to try to reach people in our church. Um, this is not necessarily a, a banter against our church specifically, but um, just sort of some things coming out of you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and, and all of that, what it entailed, um, that I wanted to sort of bring a two, a a twofer, if you will. That's what we say in Arkansas is a twofer, um, dealing with how we move forward in ministry, you know, after this COVID-19 problem and pandemic, because what, what we found is that the COVID-19 crisis has, given a lot of people sort of a free pass to go and do as they please in the name of safety and social distancing and what have you. And uh, so I, and I, you know, this is not, this is not a plea against, you know, vaccinations or a plea against, you know, health safety or anything like that. I mean, my wife is a nurse and, you know, we, we follow the, the guidelines and things like that, but, but there is a, a, a line to be drawn between, you know, devotion to the Lord and his church and fear of man or fear in general. What would you say are some of the core commitments that we um, have lost or maybe we need to reprioritize in the setting that you're describing? Like what are what are some examples of things that disciples of Jesus have not prioritized um, that we need to reprioritize in these days or kind of some core commitments? Well, the biggest one is just the commitment to the local church. That's that's where I've seen the biggest fallout is we've now made COVID an excuse to ignore the command to gather together as, you know, the church of Jesus Christ. And so church became virtual in 2020 and 
So now it's much more convenient to just, you know, sit on your couch and, and watch than to get up, get dressed, take a shower, get ready, whatever, and, you know, take your family to church. And so um, that's the biggest commitment. Another big commitment, obviously, is uh, being with people, um, you know, because not only do we need, you know, a, a community of like-minded believers, but we just need community. Well, that's echoing of what Matt said in his Imago Day blog post, right, where he talked about how, you know, we're made for community as part of part of being made in the image of God. Yes, that's exactly right. And with COVID-19, with everybody trying to distance, you know, we lost that. And so it's been a this these these two the two for messages <laughs> um, are were sort of a, a combative way of fighting against that moving forward. So there are three components that you refer to. Ben, kind of give us an overview of what those three components are that are pivotal for us to move forward. And then we'll kind of talk about each one individually if we have time to do so this morning. Sure. So the three components for moving forward, the way I did this, I went through Acts 17 and the first message was from verses 16 to 21. And then the second was verses 22 to 34. So you can look for part two next week. Um, But in verses 16 to 21, Paul really has three main components Uh, The first is unreserved compassion for the people of Athens. The second is an informed argument. And the third is gracious patience uh, for the people of Athens. And uh, this is coming off Paul ministering in Thessalonica and them really, you know, wanting to kill him for lack of, you know, for lack of being blunt here. The Thessalonians were not happy that Paul was in Thessalonica, preaching the gospel, sharing Jesus. So um, they hid Paul in, in a man named Jason's house and then eventually sent him to Berea, which then led him to Athens. And while he was there, he waited on uh, Silas and Timothy to join him there. But Paul didn't waste any time. While he was waiting, he went to the synagogue and the marketplace. Uh, to share Jesus. Well, those those components, um, the unreserved compassion, the uh, informed arguments that we have, um, and the gracious patience of Paul are just remarkable here um, in this passage. And strikingly to me, Ben, is the note about um, unreserved compassion. What What does it say about our evangelism strategy if we are not embodying a compassionate uh, attitude? Well, it's not so much um, that we embody compassion, you know, because people can can look as if they embody compassion on the outside when actually they're they're totally faking it with a false humility or something like that. Um, but but if you look at Acts seventeen verse sixteen, Luke records that Paul was deeply distressed about the city of Athens, but he was deeply distressed because he saw that the city was full of idols. Um, Mm. So when Luke records this, uh, Luke is recording the city is full of idols, but it's not really in the sense of quantity, even though that's probably true. Uh, There's been several historical uh, records saying that Athens would have idols on both sides of the street, um, you know, while while you walked down the, the streets. But, but really what Paul was distressed about 
was, as one commentator noted, was that the pervasive hold that idolatry had over the people is what really upset him. It's pretty powerful when you think about the way in which he cared for his fellow man, Ben. Um, Oh, that the Holy Spirit would cultivate in disciples of Jesus today a renewed commitment um, to loving the lost and recognizing the state that they're in. Yeah, that's really what, um, what unreserved compassion is about, right? In the words deeply distressed in Greek, uh, literally translate that his spirit was provoked. So it hurt, it literally hurt Paul's soul that uh, there were lost people in Athens. Or uh, another commentator says that Paul feels God's anger and frustration that human beings can devote their lives to such worthless symbols. You know, here's here's the issue, and and this is where the rubber meets the road is there have been many scholars and theologians who have called America a modern day Athens. And we all devote ourselves to worthless symbols. And, you know, even as believers, we do this, but, but especially unbelievers, we're all just full of, of worthless devotion to, to worthless things. And, I am convinced that the church has not been as deeply distressed about their communities being so lost as they ought. And you can have a good ministry vision and you can have good church related goals. But if that is divorced from a compassion for the loss, your ministry is nothing. We want everyone to know that today's episode of Everyday Theology is sponsored in part by our friends at Welch Divinity School. Through the Master of Divinity degree, Welch Divinity School seeks to foster Christian scholarship and provide leaders with graduate education in theological, classical disciplines, and in their integration with the practice of Christian ministry. To learn more about Welch Divinity School, visit welch.edu forward slash divinity. Which leads us to the second component, Ben, of this moving forward um, and this this element of argumentation. Um, What what is the role of informed arguments in relationship to Paul's compassion for the lost? Well, if you notice in Acts 17, 17, he, he goes to the synagogues and he goes to the marketplace and he he doesn't just go there and tell them that they need to get saved, even though that's true, or that they need to repent, even though that's true. And again, next week, we'll go into more of Paul's speech at the Areopagus. But it says that Paul reasoned in these places, which means that he considered a certain topic with other people, specifically in in rhetoric or speech. So he was speaking intellectually with these people. Um you know, he, he had he had an awareness of the culture and he had an awareness of what uh, the Athenians believed. And uh, the the blunt, you know, truth here is that if we don't have a clear position on why we believe what we believe or why we believe in Jesus, you know, our arguments probably won't win those to whom we're speaking. Which brings into the discussion the discipline of apologetics. When we refer to Christian apologetics, we're referring to the discipline 
um, which is a branch of broader philosophy and theology, uh, which is an apologia, um, which is a testimony of statement in why we believe what we believe. Um, So why, why is it important for us to meet our neighbors where they are by using reasoned argumentation? Well, I actually did some research on this um, and found out, according to Pew Research, that from 2011 to 2021, Christianity in America dropped from 78% to 63%. Now, that seems like we still have a majority. You know, we just look at that and we see the word Christian on the on the scale and think, yeah, we've still got 63%. But that Christian category includes Protestants, but it also includes Catholics, Mormons, and Orthodox Christians. So you have to divvy out 63% in those four categories. But not only that, you also have the rise of the nuns, which is now equal to about 30% of the, of the population. And just so our listeners know, we're not referring to N-U-N-S. <laughs> We're referring to N-O-N-E-S. That would be family and friends that would claim no or zero religious affiliation. With that being said, Ben, what what are some possible scenarios in your mind as a pastor that we can focus on, reprioritize maybe um, when it comes to that? Because, see, I was raised in the, the Bible Belt of northwest Alabama, and I am so grateful to God for my family of up, upbringing, um, for bringing me to faith in Christ in the Bible Belt. Um, but even where we both minister now, um, there are a lot of religious nuns. What can we do to re-engage the religious nuns? Yeah, well, I was raised in the Bible Belt as well. And, you know, I was I was raised in Nashville for a little while and then in central Arkansas. So, um, I mean, churches on every corner. We even had a second Baptist church in Conway. So if that tells you anything, not just first Baptist, we had second Baptist. But, um, you know, the the biggest thing when we talk about none. I was going to ask you if second Baptist was a split from Unity Baptist. I'm not you know, like, sure. I don't know about that. But, Unity Baptist yeah. with a church split. Or Harmony. <laughs> or Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I think that is most important here is before we just go and for lack of better terms here, throw Jesus on people. I think it's going to be important for us to have them at our tables and cook them supper and buy them coffee, you know, and, you know, build a, build a relationship with them where they know that we're genuinely caring for them physically before we care for them spiritually. Um, Now that's going to take a lot more time. But uh, and that's, of course, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but but you've got to be able to build um, a trust with people. They don't they don't trust you right now. Um, And that's because of the postmodernism thinking and and some influences there. But it's going to take intentional effort of building relationships with people, having them in our homes, inviting them to. Out, out to eat or to an event or, you know, whatever, just everyday life things. Well, and that brings up a good point, Ben. Um, I was exposed to some of the work of Paul Copan during my time studying at New Orleans Seminary. 
And Paul Copan wrote an excellent book that I'd like to recommend to our listeners, which is called When God Goes to Starbucks, A God to Everyday Apologetics. Um, that book was published back in August of 2008. Um, but if you go to your contemporary coffee shop, you're going to get the gist of what people believe um, in our culture. Now, as evangelical Christians, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to see at our local coffee shop that we're going to disagree with. Sure. Uh, not mentioning any specifics in this episode, um, but our listeners won't have a hard time understanding that your barista at Starbucks probably thinks a lot differently about human nature and gender and the purpose of existence than an evangelical Bible-believing Christian. Yeah. So the, the goal is how do we have the kind of compassion that Paul did where he reasoned with them um, using using language that they would understand um, what does it look like? I don't know if there is a full answer, but I think if we're going to recapture those who have zero religious affiliation, you know, Ben, I still hear churches talking about we need to reach the millennials. Well, brothers and sisters, I want our listeners to know mine and Ben's generation are the millennials. Absolutely don't give up trying to reach any generation for the gospel of Christ. But at the same time, uh, we really need to be focusing on those that follow you and I. We need to be thinking about the Gen Zers and whatever the next generation is called after that. Um, the reason being that if the foundation of faith, as Deuteronomy articulates, isn't given at a young age, it's much more difficult uh, to share the gospel, but not impossible because we work sharing the gospel with the Holy Spirit uh, through us. Yeah, I would even argue, too, that we need to be reaching probably um, looking at our children's generation more than anything. Um, because, you know, the, the reality is, is that we're losing kids in middle school, Sunday school classes. Well, that connects to another trend, Ben, that we're seeing. And, and this is not an episode on hot takes, but there is a large trend in people that used to be conservative Baptists or um, uh, non-denominational Pentecostal charismatic church people that are becoming Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran. Um, that is a rising trend. And I think that's because there's a longing for the faith once delivered for the saints. And if I can go there, Ben, there is a longing for the ordinary means of grace, yeah. which people are not seeing in our low church evangelical environment. That's right. Yeah, that's it. There, there's a lot of factors and we're not we're not here again to, you know, you know, just land blast everyone that everything, everybody and what they're doing wrong. But we are here to say that it's going to take intentionality and it's going to take diligence. And we have to the the successful way to do church. And I think Dustin and I are, are both going to be in agreement on this and are going to be 100% on this. The most successful way to have ministry success is to do it the way the Bible commands us to do it. And yeah. that's, that's the most important thing that we can do. Don't try to be flashy. Don't try to lure people in with, you know, with, you know, the, the right things that you think they want lure them in with what they need. Let them see their need for something, obviously salvation and a savior. And, and they'll stay if you will disciple them after they're, they're converted. Very good, Ben. And when we talk about the ordinary means of grace, um, we understand that that can mean different things to different people. What we're interested in, in reflecting on is 
the way in which our ministries are informed by scripture and not by the latest church growth strategy. So there's a third component then of this moving forward, uh, part one. Uh, what would you say is the third component essential for us as believers and as local churches to move forward in this day and age? Well, I, I mentioned earlier that I was getting ahead of myself when we were speaking of how to have an informed argument, how to how to gain some ground and trust with the nuns. And I said that we, we need to understand that this is going to take time. And the third component is gracious patience. We need to understand that this is not going to happen overnight. Um, when you speak of the means of grace, you said you know you said that all of our ministry is based on scriptural principles and it's not based on trends or anything like that. What we mean by the means of grace is that we do uh, ministry by the word, prayer, and the ordinances. That's our ministry. Um, and so the 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 way the church grows is long term. It's it's all all analogies in scripture. Most of them, anyway. I shouldn't say all. Because there are some, but uh, but a majority of the analogies and scriptures when Jesus talks about spiritual growth or or conversion or evangelism are dealing with agriculture. And if you look at like the parables of the wheat and the tares or the mustard seed or, uh, you know, the, the soils um, or you even look at Paul in First Corinthians three, we're talking about Paul in First Corinthians three is talking about planting and watering. Um, but he's also speaking of God giving the increase. And so we have to have patience because this is going to take time. I mean, you, you think about it. We are uprooting people's lifetime of thought process that they've reasoned for themselves. Which will have some core beliefs, some of which will be informed by scripture, a lot of which will be informed by personal opinion or culture. So that's very important what you're sharing. Yeah. Yeah. And the most important thing to understand, if I may, Dustin, is to just uh, understand that you're not going to win everybody, that that you're you're going to you're going to, you know, set out on this endeavor and you're going to come up short. You're going to come up empty handed at times. Notice that uh, in Acts 17, some of them made fun of Paul. They called him a seed picker. And the image there is like a bird who was who is picking seeds out of the garbage and meaning that Paul is just trying to act like he knows what he's talking about. But but the thing about it is, is that there were some calling calling him a seed picker, but there were others who actually stuck around. So we're not here to keep yeah. a scorecard. You know, we're here to right. we're here to share the gospel and hope that God gives us increase and pray that God gives us fruit for our labors. Well, you capture an important truth there about discipleship and evangelism really, Ben. Um, in my evangelism class, in my undergraduate studies, uh, something that we read um, said the average person has to, has to hear the gospel 7.86 times. I don't know how they calculated that. I don't know how. don't know what the metric was. But I would suggest that it's even more than that. And the truth of the matter is, brother, we don't know if we're the 1 or the 7 or the 7.8. Um, but we must be obedient and submissive to the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I think that's really the key that we need to mention for our pastors listening today is uh, what is the key to move forward in 2022? We've got to recapture Bible-based ministry, number one, and number two, prayer. 
we got to bring the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, all three persons of the Trinity, back into our church growth strategy. Yeah, that's exactly right. We've got to realize that um, ministry is not immediate. Fruit in ministry is not immediate, I guess is what I should say. Um, A lot of things that you and I are investing in in ministry, I'm convinced that we won't see the fruit of, but really the next generation is going to see the fruit of. And that's just sort of the nature of the beast. Um, You're just not going to have a lot of, now it doesn't mean that you won't ever see fruit. Uh, we hope and pray that we see fruit, but um, we, we got to take advantage of the, the low hanging fruit that we have and then invest in uh, moving forward to get more fruit. And it's just, it's going to take time. It's going to take intentionality and it's going to take a lot of discipline and a lot of diligence. But um, if we will plant and water and depend on God for the increase, he'll give it to us. Absolutely, Ben. Excellent thoughts and reflection. I appreciate your work on this sermon, and I pray the Holy Spirit will apply to your listeners there at Arbor Grove, and and even as we reflect on um, this bits and pieces here on Everyday Theology. Any concluding thoughts today, Ben? I'll just encourage people to uh, not lose sight of the fact that uh, we aren't the saving agent in this work, that we are simply being used by God to share the gospel and to, to, um, to spread his, the good news. Um, and so if, if someone does say, you know, I don't want any of that nonsense or, you know, they do something to offend us, um, that we, we keep going and we press on and we share Christ and him crucified. As Paul says in first Corinthians 15 is foolishness to the world. Um, but, to us, it's it's our saving grace and it's our salvation. And so we continue to proclaim Christ even when um, the world calls us seed pickers. Mm. Excellent word, Ben. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, dear listeners, for another episode. We hope that this has been important uh, for your uh, spiritual well-being, but also informative uh, for you know your spiritual habits as you live the devoted Christian life. And we pray that this truth reaches you for your good and for God's glory. 